Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Minister Mouse. Hello. Hello. How are you? Great. Oh, wonderful. Today we have Cecily Strong, and Cecily is an Emmy-nominated actress and comedian. You know her and I know her from Saturday Night Live, Ghostbusters, The Awesomes, and her new show, Schmigadoon. Also, she has a new book out now called This Will All Be Over Soon, which we will talk a lot about. It's an incredible work she's undertaken, and I think you will enjoy Cecily Strong. We are supported by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So make sure you create stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. It's a must for your professional life and so easy to use. Just grab one of their designer-made templates or use the power of AI to generate something in seconds. Then add what you need. You can even pull images, graphs, and more from their massive library. And boom, you're done. I have a few friends who've used it for fun like invitations or itineraries and it does look so professional and nice yeah it's clean and classy and the best part you need zero design experience to get a really high-end looking product out of it and 90 percent of fortune 500 companies trust canva to help them get the job done get your work done and make it look good with canva start designing today at canva.com c-a-n-v-a.com designed for work Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. I knew you did that. (laughs) No, I did not do that. I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Monica, please keep it in the chat. (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. He's an armchair expert. He's an armchair I'm in here with my dog, so I apologize. Oh, we had my kid in here one second ago, which is much more distracting, I think. Well, you don't know my dog. Let's <laughs> let's wait and see how this plays out. <laughs> Ready to party? Woo! Thank you, by the way. This is a great mic. You're welcome. And feel free to re-gift it to somebody. What an interesting gift. People assume I had a mic, and I don't. I would have assumed that. Well, I did have one. I don't know where it is. Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. Because I was going to say, how did you get through all of quarantine without having to record stuff? Honestly, for most of it, I did it with just my AirPods. So I didn't sound great. But who did? That's a small price to pay for not getting (laughs) a mic. Right. (laughs) Where are you currently? Because the background through the windows is very green. It's very green. I'm in Hudson Valley. (gasps) Tell me about that area. So... I'm near Rhinebeck. So I had two Airbnbs last summer. One was in Stone Ridge, which is on the west side of the Hudson. I spent the second half of the summer in Rhinebeck, and then I loved it so much, so I I bought a house. Do you know at all where Rockefeller's place is in relation to where you're renting? You don't mean Rockefeller Plaza, right? No, no, I mean (laughs) um, John D. (laughs) Rockefeller had a house. And these turkeys used to take, like, steamboat ride to work, which I find so fascinating. They'd have breakfast and stuff, and they'd be in suits. And I'm really enchanted by the whole era. 
That sounds great. I'm not near enough water. I have a tiny little pond. I could just go to the other side of the pond in my steamboat. And do you pop into that pond for a swim or is it not I that I definitely type of pond? don't. It is not. There's a lot of frogs in there. I just found out that frogs hibernate. I'm learning oh, about do. frogs here. Oh my God. Yeah. What do we call a frog expert? Someone that like knows a lot about It's such there's a, there's a, a weird name. It's a very tough name. It feels like frogs don't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. Like, what have they done to earn this? <laughs> to earn that name. Ostentatious title. Fuck. Herpetologist? Oh, wow. Herpetologist. Herpetologist. I think that's what it is. Herpetologist. Wow. Someone I can't that believe studies. you just pulled that out. I usually wait till like 20 minutes in to try to impress <laughs> you really hard, but I'm coming right out of the gates with some That stuff. coffee works. <laughs> <laughs> and you're from Illinois, so this kind of setting suits you, I'd imagine, right? This feels very Michigan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I long for that, what you're in front of so much. We just got home two days ago from a 20-day RV trip. It was gorgeous. We went to Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. It's all incredibly beautiful. But I don't get that cellular response to like the humidity, the green deciduous trees, the whole thing, the smell of lakes and rivers, yeah. all that stuff I find intoxicating. Exactly. It's so Michigan here. So we would go on vacation. Like my friends with money had houses in Union Pier, New Buffalo. So okay. I spent a lot of time there. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's so pretty for three months of the year, you can't beat it. And then <laughs> right. it's absolutely miserable. Well, that's and everyone... like Chicago, yeah. It's character building. It is character <laughs> building. It's also, it leads to, and I wonder if you suffer from this, it's a real bipolar existence because it's like you're absolutely miserable, suicidal come April. <laughs> it's been gray for four months. Yeah. And then it's 49 and sunny, and then everyone's tops are off, and they're driving their car with the convertible down. It's insanity. You can see on everyone's face the elations at an 11. Right, and you're like, you know you shouldn't be wearing shorts. It's not warm enough yet, but it's just that it's not an ice storm where wind <laughs> gray, is like punching shitty. you in the face. <laughs> Your car is not stuck in snow on Lakeshore Drive. Exactly. And then there's like, it almost feels like someone hits a stopwatch and people are like, we got to fucking camp <gasps> nine times. We got to go to Cedar Point. We got to go like, you got to do everything in the next three months. And there's always like, yeah, there's Jazz Fest. There's Taste of Chicago. It's like we do everything in those in the summer. You're like, go oh my outside God. right now. We have one month. Ding, ding, ding. We're the frogs of the human race because we basically just hibernate from <laughs> yes. November into May. And they hibernate while frozen. Right. It's similar to people oh. from the Midwest. <laughs> oh, my God. We figured it out. <laughs> so, yeah, would you go to Lake Michigan? Is that what you guys would do? Because you're only like a couple hours, right, to drive up to some pretty nice beaches on Lake Michigan. For years and years growing up, our week-long summer vacation was at Michelinda Beach Resort. And it was called Michelinda because it was Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, you know, all the people oh. from around there. And there was a little candy store down the driveway. And I remember I bought candy cigarettes there all the time. Remember how they used to make those for children? Candy cigarettes? Absolutely. <laughs> and not only the obvious reasons we wouldn't do that now, but also terrible candy. It was like right. a big stick of chalk. It was like, but gone. as like a child actor, it was my favorite mm. thing. I always said, well, prop. let's be clear. Are we talking about because they did come up with ones that were rolled in paper that had a little bit of talcum powder in there and you could blow, so you out, could blow smoke. out smoke and oh. had chocolate in the middle. Oh, and wow, then I and miss. then they had terrible chalk ones that were just painted red at the end. Right. I think I had the chalk ones. Oh. They're old standby. The chalk let's bring ones. bring those back. 
<laughs> well, well, I was going to ask did that candy store there in rural Michigan also sell like a lot of like Charleston chews and of really course. big weird candy bars you didn't get at the drugstore. Yes, it was not great candy. It was no Mr. Bulky's, which was like the bulk candy store at my local mall. That was one of those things, you know how you know things in weird ways as a kid, like I thought the Sirius Tower was the Sirius Tower. <laughs> and okay. I thought Mr. Bulky's was named after Balky <laughs> from Perfect no. Strangers. From Perfect Strangers. <laughs> You're a little young to like Perfect Strangers. How are you consuming that? I'm 37. That's a bullseye for you? Perfect Strangers was on when you were oh, a kid? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, what? Well, but you were born in what, 84? 84. Very early. February 84. Okay, we're going to figure this out in the fact check, but my hunch is you were probably four years old watching it. That would track for me. I mean, Balky is the perfect character for a four-year-old me. That's a good point. So how far out of Chicago did you grow up? I grew up in Oak Park, so it's across the street. Uh-huh. The blue line and the green line goes to Oak Park. They both stop at the end of Oak Park. Yeah, and for folks that don't maybe haven't interacted with, what, how do we call Chicago people? Chicago Indians? Chicagoans. Chicagoans. Yeah. So if you've not Chicagoans. like Chicagoans, you fucking <laughs> <Come on>. idiot. <laughs> so for people who have not been to Chicago, it's a phenomenal city. Again, as we said, it's kind of bipolar. It's like miserably cold, yeah. or you're you're trying to cram your whole life into three months. Drinking is totally respected, and it's it's done <laughs> to perfection there. Very very kind of cool blue collar vibe. If you're from Michigan, it's not very different. But maybe for other folks, it is a bit different. But anyways, salt of the earth. Love to fucking party. Only <laughs> place probably I've been where I've seen more people at three just openly puking mid-conversation, <laughs> which I totally dig. Do you think I summed that up a little bit? I think that's great. I find I get along well with Midwesterners. It's like people that have to like comment on things in an airport. I feel like I always have to like, well, that was awkward. Okay, you watch my bad. Don't steal them. Or something. Like always feel like I have to make a weird joke or something. And, right. <laughs> and that's just, a. I feel like very, whenever I'm flying home, I'm like, I like, I understand who's on the plane with me. Yeah. And maybe like loyalty's prized a little more than other places. Yeah, um, for sure. It is in Detroit. Like loyalty is a big thing. Yes, definitely. Sometimes I think too, it's detriment. Like Chicago, it's like, I sometimes want to shake it and be like, you're a better city than you're letting <laughs> yourself be. <laughs> well, it's really funny because this is a very recent realization of mine, which is loyalty would have been number one on my list of reasons I like someone for uh -huh. most of my life. And then I was breaking it down with my best friend, Aaron, and we were really like getting into it. And I was like, you know, why is that a key component? Are we going right. to commit a crime? What I came to realize is like, there's almost this unwritten rule where it's like, I'm going to act like a piece of shit sometimes, but you're going to stick with me. Right. And look, I know you're going to be a piece of shit sometimes, and I'm going to stick with you. And it's just an interesting proposition. The real friendship is seeing ourselves past imperfections. But it's like, you know what? That's too much. Let's just call it loyalty. Boom. Yeah. We're done. That's what it is. Yeah. So you got booted out of um, high school? Yeah. I was expelled my sophomore year. This is exciting. I mean, it's fine now, but it was awful at the time. I was kind of a nerd and very, I was a good student and I liked school. I never quite fit in for, I wasn't like a popular kid, but, and I did theater. It was the first bag of pot I ever bought, like a very seedy. Oh my gross, God, for real, your first bag the of pot. First bag of pot. And I was auditioning for the shadow box, the play. And I asked someone to like move my book bag. And of course it was in my book bag because 
we hadn't touched it really. It was more that it was like exciting that we had bought this bag of pot, my yeah. friend Liz and I. And then the security found it and they went through the bag with me like as a game, not opening the pocket that they knew the pot oh, was in to like God, sort of watch torture. me squirm. And it was like, oh, what? they were stringing it out. Yeah, we had a new superintendent that year and they wound up just expelling so many of us, which feels crazy because it's like you're throwing 16 year olds out. My friend Craig and my friend Sam were expelled at the same time. And I always like to talk about it now because Craig was named like Oak Parker of the Year. He's this amazing guy. He played indoor football. He like saved a woman from being attacked on the train platform and he gave a kidney to save a friend. Oh my goodness. Yeah, what a piece of shit. Let's get right. him out of this so high throw school. throw that kid out, yeah. I would love to talk to the superintendent at this point and just go like, you must regret that decision, booting kids over weed. Yes, I would hope that she does, but I don't really know if she does. And it was a kind of thing where it was sort of, if you were an athlete at the school, they'd get busted and have things on the bus. And it was a slap on the mm. wrist. Yeah. Well, it's like a microcosm of the real world. It was. Yeah. Yes. It was my first experience with that. As a white woman, I didn't have a lot of adversary, but that was my first like, oh, I'm just falling through the cracks and I don't matter. Yeah. You're expendable. We have a friend whose brother was in jail for like a year for pot and now Ugh. i'm like how do they now it's it's legal here like how yeah, do they give people their their year back like it's insane it's insane the amount of people that are in jail right now for pot <sighs> if i were like an activist a good activist i feel like i would start there because it's a lot of people of color yeah 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 when you're watching them go through the bag you're probably are you in acceptance mode like well they're gonna find this it's not a huge bag there's only a couple pockets. It's totally freaking eminent. out, panic attack. Did you beg? It probably on the inside, but not. Yeah. I think I didn't say anything. And then it was like, my mom was very into beading for a while. Mm. And okay. I had like these jewelry tools to like fix jewelry. And I remember at one point they went through my purse and they were like, and this is a roach clip. Oh. And I was like, that's a beading tool. <laughs> like, this is how wrong you have me. Yeah, oh, this is how she's doing her pot with <laughs> right. this tool. And I'm like, can I? How do you do that? <laughs> Tell me. I, I'd love to know. <laughs> I want to show off. Yeah, but it wound up working out because I went to a school I loved my senior year and my community service wound up being something hold that was on, very Hold on, hold on. Oh, God. Special. Oh, God. So there was criminal charges levied against you as well? There was like a program. It would get expunged if I did 100 hours of community service. And the guy who ran the program was super nice and didn't treat me like a criminal. And I wound up working at an HIV like community center in my town that would help with housing. It was like social services for the HIV positive community around where I lived. And so I spent my summer there and it was great. And this is what, in 2000? Yeah. You were 16 or so? Yeah. So the dude who was running the program recognized like, oh, yeah, this is a 16-year-old gal, probably not a career criminal. Right. I think his whole point was it's a 16-year-old kid no matter what. And, you know, 16-year-olds who got pot on them are not terrible people. <laughs> How did your parents take it? Are they kind of liberal by nature? Were they like, yeah, this They happens. are. And I think they were probably smoking pot off and on at the time. So Bill I and Penny. 
Bill and Penny. They were very gentle with me. And they saw like my life was kind of falling apart then. And they were like, that's punishment enough. And they were really supportive. And the school was like, wanted me to go to an ombudsman school, which was at the time kind of explained to me as a place for kids with emotional disorders. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Oh I had a bag of pot. Like, <laughs> so yeah. I wound up going to Catholic school, which was its own journey, a very interesting place in Chicago, an all-girls Catholic school. But then that's not where you graduated from, is it? No. So then I went back to public school. Then they said I could come back the next year. I went back, okay. but it was sort of, I was super depressed. I was down to four classes a day and I didn't have enough gym credits and a class called consumer ed. So they were like, you're going to be a fifth year senior. And I was like, oh, I'm a straight A student. There's no way. Like I fell through the cracks. So I dropped out Oh, and wasn't sure. I was like, I guess I'll get my GED. And then we found an art school. So my senior year, I went to art school, did correspondence courses and graduated on time. Oh my wow, what a journey. What now, a journey. <laughs> this is a completely inane detail, but I just need to know, because in my mind, this bag of pot isn't even in a Ziploc top. It's more in the <laughs> sandwich bag variety where it could be falling everywhere. Is that, it, yeah, is that Yeah, I mean, some kind of dirty little Ziploc. Yeah, just full okay. of seeds and twigs. It probably wasn't and even. Stems. It was probably half like grass, actual grass and oregano or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then you go to CalArts. Which is CalArts in Pasadena. Is that where that's at? It's in Santa Clarita. Oh, it is? Yeah. By Six Flags? It's right by Six Flags. It's in the shadow of Six Flags? <laughs> yes. Well, do you guys say Six Flags? Wait, what do you say? <laughs> I say Six Flags. I think I say Six Flags, too. Okay, so you're and the I odd say, man out. And wait, I say Six Flags. Yeah, that's, that's weird. So I'm supposed six to say flags. Six Flags? Six Flags. Six Flags. <laughs> Six Flags. Oh, my God. What a distinction. And I don't even know what it changes. Six Flags. The emphasis on flags or six. Yes. You put the emphasis on flags. I'm so sorry. You're about to tell a great story about Tim Burton. (laughs) Hold on. on, I love this. I like to find where we all differ, maybe regionally. Now, did you have a Six Flags near you growing up? Because we had Great America. So it was a big change for me to start having to say Six Flags, and they weren't all Great America. Right. Mm. My friend threw up in his hand there. Oh. In his hand, and he couldn't have caught it. It it sucked because it was like a teen boy and was like with (laughs) girls and trying to be cool. Oh, no. And it kind of like. Definitely barfed in his hand. (laughs) Okay, for the people who can't see you, you're kind of holding your hand up like you're you're going to cough. Yeah. And then, yeah. and it seems pretty tight. Had to throw it in the trash can. Oh, so, <laughs> so he puked in his hand. Certainly, didn't catch it all. And then he chucked that in the trash. Yeah, yeah. And kind of like, well, nothing happened. Nothing to see. Oh, do you feel so lucky that you witnessed that? Of I'm course. jealous. It's something yeah. that has stayed with me for 21 <laughs> years. So. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you'd be better popping your shoe off, maybe. But maybe there wasn't time. It no, really then people hit would really notice if you were, had one shoe on. And right, this is an easy, fast. Thing. Maybe even guys, and I don't want to be crazy, but lift the collar of your shirt out and then just puke on your chest and then go to the bathroom and deal with it. I think about this all the time because I threw up on myself once the first time I ever flew. <laughs> Jet blew in. I was flying with my dog, so I couldn't take any Xanax. And I have a lot of flight anxiety the minute we hit turbulence. And I started like, for some reason, I thought the woman next to me had one leg. And Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> 
And I didn't want to ask her to move to go to the bathroom. Sure. But I had the plastic that it was around the blanket they gave me. And I threw up into that. Nobody knew. I totally got away with it. Easy peasy, fresh and breezy. And then what you then, you just kind of made your way to the bathroom at some point and got rid of the bag. Yep. It was tasteful the way you handled it, it sounds like. And the woman next to me was really enjoying the food and drinks. So she was... Three sheets and to she the missed the whole She definitely thing. noticed. She missed the whole thing. And she did. She had two legs. How did you, did you <laughs> discover that there were actually, a, there was a second leg when you went to the bathroom to get rid of the bag? Yes. And when we left, when we were getting off the plane, I was like, oh, I wonder what, why I thought that. I was just so scared. I get a lot of flight anxiety. And you said I couldn't take Xanax because this predated Xanax or you just, you forgot no, it, it or what happened No, it was the first time I was flying with my dog. And so it was oh. like, well, I can't sleep. I have to take care of this dog. Oh, 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 that makes sense. Now, have, have you really deep dived into what that flight anxiety is about? Do you still have it? Or do you ruminate on what it is? I do. I mean, like, there's nothing you can do. It feels very helpless. It's crazy mm-hmm. that we go up into the sky. I would never scuba dive. It's a similar thing. Like, we're not meant to survive in these places. Right. We don't have wings and we don't have gills. So why are we there? (laughs) Right. We cannot breathe underwater. Yeah. And we Uh will die if we fall from the sky. Those are really solid points. (laughs) But I guess for me, and this is what I want to know about for you, which is like, when I get on that plane, I've like entered into a binding contract. Like I'm out of it. Once I get on, it's like, yeah, this is going to turn out however it turns out. I don't have the illusion of control. And so I don't really ruminate on it. Yeah, I think I've gotten better at like, I try to talk myself through that and like, this is okay. That sound is normal. It's all normal. And people do this all the time and it's safe. Because I have a hunch just talking to you for 10 minutes that you wouldn't be all that put out if you died. (laughs) That's a compliment, by the way. No, no, I'm taking it that I think about that often, actually, that I'm like, my biggest hope for me is that I would accept it in that moment and would go it's okay. I've tried to live a good life. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. yeah. And like what would suck? Cause this used to happen to me. There'd be turbulence on the airplane in the eight year window. I couldn't get a job. And so as I would be thinking, Oh yeah, this thing's going down. I'm dead. Boy, you just didn't do anything. Like you never got <laughs> anything going that used to kill me. But yeah. now when I'm in that situation, I'm like, you know, I gave it my all and things worked out pretty well. What more did you want? I feel gluttonous for mourning my own passing. You'd have someone to text to say, I love you. And that's a pretty nice thing. Yeah. Please laugh when you bring up my name. Don't (laughs) mourn me. Yes. Like go out like a real graceful champ too. Like, boy, the last thing she did was give us a gift. Just keep laughing. I would love that. Just keep laughing. I wrote an essay once because I was like obsessed with the idea of a posed funeral, like a staged body. Oh, let's talk about this. And I was like, well, I want to be on a jet ski, like a windbreaker (laughs) outfit, performing a stunt, because it was that I would be hoping that the people would laugh. Like, it's sad to lose people. And so I hope that there would be some laughter, too. Okay, Miss Strong, we're about to bond here pretty (laughs) severely. First of all, was that motivated by becoming aware of the Puerto Rican funerals? Yes. (gasps) Yeah. Absolutely, yes. The guy smoking and playing a video game on the motorcycle. (laughs) Yes, yes, thank you. The guy on the motorcycle really gets me because I believe he died in a motorcycle accident. Yeah. 
So, and then they've put him on a motorcycle inside this funeral home and everyone, I guess, is supposed, to, I don't you walk know. Walk around them. You walk around, but if you're that person, like a little short-sighted, that thing's gonna remind yeah. you of why he was untimely taken from this planet, right? But a lot of people, you go, you died doing what you love. Like the grizzly yeah. man, Timothy Treadwell. He loved those bears and to mm -hmm. get eaten by one was probably full circle. How else would you want to go if you were Timothy Treadwell? I love that you know his name's Timothy Treadwell. <laughs> I too know his name's <laughs> Timothy Treadwell. And I want to know what your reaction was watching Grizzly Man. I'm hoping it was the same as mine. Please tell me. Let's see. So first I read the Vanity Fair article and I had a whole different picture of who Timothy Treadwell was. More like a, of a conservationist, somewhat qualified. Yes. yes then yes. I saw the movie and was like, oh, he's gay. And he doesn't uh -huh. fit in with people. And he just yeah. is more comfortable with animals. He just was someone who was not comfortable in society. And it was like, I don't know how much he knew about bears, but he chose to go live there. I just know he wasn't comfortable with humans. And I love the way he yelled at Spirit. I mean, the names he gave them, Big Red Machine and Spirit the Fox. And he was like, Spirit, yes. get over here, Spirit. That's my hat. Hey, Spirit. <laughs> Yes, yeah, scolding them, but playfully <laughs> flirting with them. Yes. Okay, so about 10 minutes into that movie, I turned to the person I was next to, and I said, I don't know how, but this person has some show business in them. <laughs> and yeah. fucking by God, it was revealed he had gone to LA to try to do some show business stuff. And then later I said, this also reeks of someone who's an addict who's trying to come up with some really radical geographic change mm -hmm. that will fix their addiction. And then, yes, yes, it was learned he was also an opiate addict. Right. Well, I think and that's the show business and this internal conflict is why I say gay as a simple thing. But I mean, like as a, a deeply closeted person who maybe has self-hatred involved and is like, can't be straight because he's gay. Yes. So it, there was a lot of internal conflict and a not fitting in to society that's like, so you're gonna go there? You're gonna yeah. like, this is dangerous. It turned out to be fatal as yeah. we now know. Wait, uh, sorry, I have a quick question about the Puerto Rican, what was it? Funerals, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do they like make them look happy? Do they change their faces? No, I think it's like, they always have like sunglasses on. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's a Shame. serious experience. It actually is like more respectful than it seems. I mean, okay. it's, it's you do it for someone that you love. It's just not a thing that's in our culture. So it's wild looking. But yeah. for me, I would want an expression. Right, right? Like a big smile. I want to be going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Monica, can we have you doing your eye roll? Sure. Oh my God. That would that be, if we could position your eyes up like at the apex eye roll. I'm sure I'll die that way anyway. <laughs> You'd probably be rolling so. your eyes while you meet your Oh, your of untimely. course. Oh, here we go. Wouldn't it be this? Oh, I guess I'm getting shot. Oh, this is original. And then rolling We just your talked eyes. about the bears, and here I am eaten by a bear. Wouldn't you know? <laughs> so cliche. Okay, back to the funeral. Oh. So. I similarly kind of have a pact with my best friend Aaron Weekly, which is if I am to die first, the funeral is going to be at some train tracks and I'm going to be tied to a chair in a superhero <laughs> outfit and the train's going to be coming. Everyone's going to expect that the superhero can just get out of that chair. But of course, this one can because he has passed and everyone's just going to watch the train just blow through the superhero and then everyone will laugh uproariously and that'll <laughs> be how I do it. Well, here was uh, my only advice for that. 
is Please. you would have to make sure the train is like a gag train because you don't want anyone <laughs> being hurt. You want to make sure everyone involved won't be traumatized. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's just got to be like, oh, shit, that superhero didn't get out of the knot. You know? Right. And it'd be like, this is what he wanted. We're doing what he wanted. And everyone has to know that. And then I think that's great. Yeah. Kids wouldn't be invited. Well, I don't you know. You couldn't invite kids to that. You funeral. don't think so? No. It'd be tough wouldn't. to see. Right. Yeah. Well. Here's another thing. Maybe you should fly somehow. You should be shot up into the sky. Okay, so you just stumbled into our pact, which is if, God willing, we die at the same time, big funeral in a field, and we get launched out of opposing cannons in superhero outfits, and then we just hit in the air and kind of just crumple down to the ground. It's not, again, it's, what you're going for is that moment you think the superhero-ness is going to take over, and then it doesn't, (laughs) because it's just a corpse. That's where it it gets fun. Right. Well, I think you should just be shot up into the sky. To infinity. Uh, Right. Wow, that's that's gonna be expensive, but I like it a lot. That's at it least is. hopeful. We need right. that. Yeah, I li- I think that'd be nice. And then maybe a plane goes by in the background. It writes <laughs> in the sky. It was a blast. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> Get, have skywriting yeah. involved. Sure. <laughs> All right, you go to Cal Arts, and then you return to Chicago. So what I'm curious about is. What is the college experience when you leave Chicago? Because I know coming from Michigan, I had the really wild ideas about what California was. But if you find yourself in Santa Clarita, it's not a dig on Santa Clarita. It's just not very Los Angeles-y. It's very Midwest town in the desert. Absolutely. I stayed in L.A. after college for about seven months. I took a class of the Groundlings. One of my teachers, Lou Palter, at CalArts was like, you should do the Groundlings. And I remember being so offended at first because I was like, I am a serious actor. I don't do comedy. Like if I do comedy, that's part of acting. I'm a comedic actress then. But then I wound (laughs) up taking this class and I loved it. But I just really was like being confronted with what it really was to do show business in LA. I was like, oh, I don't fit in anywhere here. I don't know how I would get in at all. And I loved my class of the groundlings. I love my teacher. And I was like, I'm going to move back to Chicago where there's so much improv and sketch and, and I can afford an apartment and my mom can buy me groceries every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people at CalArts sort of, there were a lot of people that thought I was giving up then because oh, I was by going leaving. Home. Yeah. Oh, the internet's oh, back, Rob right. tells us. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus. I'm just going to write continue. Okay. Do you think that was Timothy Treadwell? Oh. <gasps> Let me really think. I want to take that question seriously. I ask that as a serious thing. I hope so. I love to look for things like that. Yeah, I think totally. those are, Yeah. I hope so. I hope that's his little way of saying like. You guys get me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for seeing me. And thanks for remembering. Like I had a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice moment. <laughs> I'm glad we shared it together. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert. If you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp. Listen, I understand that sometimes you want to keep things to yourself, process your emotions in your own time. But if you keep everything bottled up, it can have some serious consequences. I have therapy on Saturday. I'm really looking forward to it. I had therapy this morning. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it put me in the greatest mood. We had a long, big day, and I just felt much better for having you were to... not to out you. You were a little grumpy going in. I was. I was. I was to be <laughs> Robin, sp- I received some texts. Yeah, I was morning. locked out of my therapy setting, <laughs> which is this attic. <laughs> <sighs> 
But then you felt much better after. I felt much better. And I even made some apologies. Um, Talking things out can be so helpful. And if you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend therapy. Check out BetterHelp if you've been thinking of trying therapy. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for any reason for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DAX. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored Men's Warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident, like you can do anything. Whether it's a snappy suit that makes you want to dance at a wedding like no one is watching, or a smart casual outfit that gives you the confidence to nail a job interview. Yep, you should give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse is the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, etc. to your bod. Men's Warehouse features clothes from the best brands in the fashion world like Vera Wang, Kenneth Cole, and Calvin Klein. Men's Warehouse isn't just suits. They have jeans, t-shirts, shoes, hats, and even underwear. The tailoring is game-changing. It really makes a huge difference in people's outfits if it's tailored to your body. You could have a kabillion-dollar suit, and if it doesn't fit, it looks terrible. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's key. Men's Warehouse is everywhere with 600-plus locations nationwide, so if you need one, and you will, there's one near you. Feel like you can do anything in an outfit from Men's Warehouse. Visit your Men's Warehouse store or click or tap to shop online. We are supported by Wayfair. Home should be your happy place, a space where you can relax and just enjoy yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Whether you want the ultimate man cave, a cozy Victorian-inspired nook for reading, an area for family movie night filled with all things retro or something else. And if you need help creating that space, I recommend Wayfair. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas to dining tables, beds, rugs, wall art, and more. I bought a KitchenAid mixer mixer on Wayfair. You can really get anything on there. And I'm helping a friend redo his living room. And we just... You're just on Wayfair nonstop. Yep. Yeah, it's one-stop shop. It is. They have fast, free shipping. They have everything you need for your home inside and out. They have a huge selection of home goods and a variety of styles. Whatever you're into, Wayfair is the go-to destination to help bring your vision to life. Every style is welcome in the Waberhood. Visit Wayfair.com or get the Wayfair mobile app. That's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R.com. Wayfair. Every style, every home. Okay, so who was your teacher at the Groundlings? I had Tony Sepulveda. Oh, wonderful. What a great teacher to have. I loved him. I loved him. Okay, so what aspects, you said, I I was looking at show business and I was like, this is not going to work for me. What aspects of it were scary or off-putting? Well, I remember, so we did our showcase at the end of the year and I was like, I loved my college experience. I loved doing shows. It was a very good humbling experience after I graduated too. I felt like I was sort of built up and felt really good about myself. And then we did the showcase and they announced out loud all the people who had meetings and I like had none. Uh And I think I got one meeting and this woman told me, well, you're not thin enough or you're not big enough. You'll have to lose 20. It was just like, oh, okay, this is not at all 
the world I thought it would be. She said you were a tweener, basically. You're a tweener. You're not this and you're not that. Right. And I was like, I'm not huge. I mean, I was like 150 pounds or something. And it was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be. And I'll, I've never been that, like going in an audition, everybody's like a supermodel in LA. And it was like, I've never looked like that. And I never will. There's not a surgeon in the world who could do that. I was working at Greenblatt's and selling wine for $9 an hour, which I actually loved it. I loved the people I worked with. You must have seen so much cool shit at that place. So Greenblatt's is this little tiny sandwich slash liquor shop. Is it right next to the Laugh Factory? It's the right comedy next store? to Laugh Factory, yeah. On Sunset. So yeah, so in my understanding of that place is like old famous celebrities like wheel themselves down the hill drunk to get more wild turkey and then drive back up. So did you have like all kinds of cool sightings? Definitely. I mean, I remember when Sasha Baron Cohen came in once and I was like, oh. I just want to go like stand near his table and hear what he's saying. Yeah. I remember Rufio from Hook was in once. Wonderful. <laughs> Wanda Sykes was in a lot. David Allen Greer. Oh, Don wow. Marrera, I think, spent New Year's Eve with us and I was working that night because we also had a boss who was no holidays off at Greenblatt's. And I was a new employee, so I was exist. not at Greenblatt's, baby. <laughs> All one, but I got to learn a lot about wine. And the people that I worked with were really just like cool. This guy, Oscar, was like a jazz musician in Paris in the 60s or something. And now was just like an old guy who loved wine. Oh, and then wow. just like cool people like that. But again, it was like, well, that's not acting. <laughs> and I'm only mm. making $9 an hour. And it was like, I would see sort of these producers going out with young girls or something. And it was like, I don't want to be an escort either in order well, to have to do this hold thing. On. Are we sure? That I don't want to be an escort? Yes. Oh, positive. Okay, yeah. you're 100% on that. 100% sure. And I'm. this is not a diss on sex work. It was just like, that's not what acting has ever been for me. Well, I wonder if this is really a common feeling, because that was my exact feeling, which was, I'm not good looking enough to be the guy in the Budweiser commercial at the beach. Right. And I'm not, quote, character looking enough to be like the employee that's getting shit on in the insurance commercial. Like, I felt like, I felt exactly like you're saying. Right, and nobody gives a shit that I did a great Lady Macbeth <laughs> scene a year ago right. at CalArts. Yeah, they just don't yeah. care. No. So when you go back to Chicago, is it just a great feeling? Like, oh my God, I'm home and I'm getting to do this thing I just discovered I love? Or are you thinking, I gotta get to either coast here in a hurry? No, I kind of was like, let's see, because I had never really studied improv like that. So I really, I dove into that and absolutely loved it. And then I was living in a giant apartment compared to all the other apartments I've ever had for like $700 a month. I loved it. And I love. I was taking classes at Second City. Then I took classes at IO. That led to, I worked on a cruise ship. That was my first like paid comedy job. Oh, believe me, I got 85 questions about the cruise ship. <laughs> Wait, boom? No, I no. didn't do boom. I never auditioned for boom. It was the Second City had a contract with Norwegian Cruise Lines. Got it. Yeah. Okay, let, I mean, we're there. Tell me, you're on the ship for four months. The first three weeks are awesome, and the, the rest is... The first two months, I would say, very exciting, like a vacation. And then then it starts to feel like a little bit like prison. Right. You can't leave. You can't have a night on land. Mm. And we're only going to, like, New York, Florida to this little town where there's two strip clubs and like a Christian bookstore and oh, this wow. restaurant called Dogs that I would always go to. <laughs> <A> dog. <laughs> 
and Walmart. So we'd uh-huh. get all our shopping done. And then like <laughs> NASA, which once you've done NASA twice that right. day, you, you that's what you can. Yeah. And then the Norwegian private island. And then back. So it was like, then I'm stuck there. And I remember one time my pass blew off when we got to Florida and then they wouldn't let me leave. So then I was truly trapped on this boat. And you're in these tiny rooms. My friend Kylie and I shared a room and they wouldn't give us two beds. What? Because oh they kept God. saying the room is only birthed for one. Oh. Which is a, <laughs> a ship term for everyone birthed. But we were like, well, then why are there two of us in here? Yeah. Right, right. Make up your mind. Is this a room for a single or not? But amazing people watching, I will say. Okay, so some of my questions. Did you ever have a romantic encounter with one of the passengers, even though that's supposed to be forbidden? I did not, but I was dating someone in Chicago at the time. Okay. And it, okay. again, loyalty, right? Right. <laughs> did any of your coworkers have romantically? Oh, you're shaking mm-hmm. your head, yes. Oh, yeah. So for my gay male friends, it was the gym showers or whatever that was. Oh, right. Sure. sure. There's no sure. cameras Steam there. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't ask too many questions. Right. Okay. My second question is, did you gain like 600 pounds? Because Absolutely, w- I did. Yeah, yeah. It's not possible, right? To, you're basically on a floating sizzler. Yes. And and we all go in like, I am going to work out every day and I'm going to write and get my shit together. And it was like in the crew bar, a bottle of wine was a dollar. Oh I was, I was just going to say, you end up just partying, right? You yeah. wake up every morning hungover and you you're with yourself. a very international crowd in the crew. So there was like, there was an Independence Day of some country every week. So it was like, yes, let's go to Indonesian. Independence Day. (laughs) And then last question, because I observed this on a very long cruise I took with my mom. There were certain rich passengers that they would like, this was a 21-day cruise. Oh, This rich passenger had like weeded out eight crew members he liked, (sighs) and then he rented some palatial place in Bali and invited them all. And they all spent the day with this passenger at his like really nice... I thought that was so bizarre. Did that kind of thing occur regularly? No, and I think we did not have that kind of clientele. Okay, okay, <laughs> we had, that makes like, sense. I saw a lot of New Jersey, uh, just a lot of good accents. Yeah. I remember there was like hearing these different passengers pronounce Czar's Palace every week. That was one of the restaurants that you don't pay extra. Yeah. And so hearing the different, like one guy said like, Taw's place. And this, I remember like being in the elevator once and this guy's like, babe, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. I just want coffee. We're going to Tazar's then. That's Tazar's. <laughs> we're going to Tazar's and best we're go- coffee We're on doing Tazar's. You want coffee? We're doing Tazar's. Yeah. She could have said anything. I want to take a nap. Great. Then you'll have your nap at Tazar's. I was blown away by a lot of these people. <laughs> there was one, we did like Joker's Wild Night, which means the audience tells jokes. Uh-oh. Oh, it was the nastiest things I've ever heard in my life. I remember walking in and there's like a man sitting there and he's in linen pants. And <laughs> it starts out like we walked in right as he's going like, so I'm fucking a rule night or something. Uh-oh. And we were like, what? <laughs> and the joke's about necrophilia. I don't remember exactly oh. the oh punchline. Wow. Oh, God. But whoever just... he was fucking in that moment is dead. That was his joke. And then this one girl who was very shy was like, what's the um, difference between oral sex and anal sex? One makes your whole night and one makes your whole week. (laughs) 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 That's a good joke. They're wild. One makes your whole night and one makes your whole week. And what she's done is she's played with the, what's the name? It's not a synonym. 
antonym w h o l e and h o l e a hominid hom yeah uh, great work a hominid a hominem really oh a hominem <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yes. Yes. You're right yes. really good job oh, thank between you. herpetologists and hominem we we're really getting are getting these big h words down <laughs> h words okay so i guess my question is how do you go from io and second city and you clearly you get an audition for snl yeah, so SNL does their rounds. They come to Chicago every year. And Sharna, who did run IO, told me to audition. And I'd never done like impressions. I hadn't done a lot of solo work. But I so I took a workshop with this guy, Matt Miller, who has a great workshop. You put yourself on tape and you watch in a group and you sort of see what works and doesn't. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. What's that experience like? I think it was great because I wound up my audition for SNL. All of the bits I did were very short because what happened, you see how much people really love this impression they're doing. So they give it a minute and a half or something. You're like, okay, this is self-indulgent at that point, especially right. for people who know comedy and see it all the time and see people doing impressions all the time, which was like the SNL group coming in. And then when you're sitting in a room and watching it, you see what people are fake laughing at and real laughing mm. at. So mm. it's a very honest reaction. Yeah, I don't know why I bumped on that because I guess that's what you do. Like I was in the Growlings and yeah, you put your sketch up on Wednesday night and then you find out and then you move right. on. It's either, oh, that was funny to me, but no one else. It stayed that way for me. I mean, that's how SNL has always been for me. Like, oh, did you not like that? Oh, you liked that? Okay. Who knew? Yeah, thank you. So I want to ask you if it's the same as it was for me, which is like, I have no fucking barometer. The sketches I wrote that one person laughed versus everyone laughed, they were equal in my mind. Exactly. Me too. Yeah. I think they're all great. And the audience thinks 10% <laughs> are great. <laughs> right. And it's like, there's no rhyme or reason because sometimes I would just hear a right. word that I think would be funny pronounced this way by this character many, many times. And like, sometimes that worked and sometimes the word wasn't funny to anyone else but me. Yes, exactly. I'm always the Venn diagram. It's like, that's the holy grail. Like, where do I overlap with the audience? Right. Because I certainly don't know. And did you find too, like the people that generally, it's a cliche to say like a comedian's comedian, but it was so true. Like there were people in the Growlings that were on such another level that when they wrote sketches, all of us in it loved it. Like we couldn't yeah. get enough of it. And then you put it in front of America and you're like, oh right, this is so esoteric. Like you gotta know nine comedy languages before this is funny. Tim Robinson is in the top oh. three funniest people in the world. And it was yes. like, he would kill us at the table every week. I mean, loved him. And then it was like, for some reason, it wasn't working on SNL, which was nuts. And so it's like, then you see him on his show now. I cry laughing watching that show. For yeah. people who have not watched, I think you should leave. It's season two is out now. And I put him in like the Will Forte category where it's like, oh, well, I can't do whatever it is they're doing. I don't know how. I mean, he's always been so funny. He has always been in my top three funniest. Sam Richardson, too. The two of them are unbelievable. And when they're together, and that, are they both from Michigan, maybe? Is Detroit, yeah. Yeah. I know, I reached out to Robinson. He didn't seem very interested in connecting, but <laughs> that's okay. You got to work on him a little bit. He's got a little Midwesty, like, tough Detroit thing. You know, you got to. Yeah. We need their fighter become best friends. It would yes. be glorious. Yeah. Okay, so I read your piece in Vulture. Before we even talk about what it is, 
It's just incredibly well written. And I wonder how long you've been writing. I've certainly like written forever, but the essay was a one-time thing. But doing the book, it was the first time I'd written kind of every day for a period of time. But I think for me, there's so like so much self-doubt, which I think certainly I think I know a lot of women who feel the same where you're like, I hear people all the time being like, well, I shouldn't take that job because I don't know how to do it. And I think writing it was like, well, I've never studied it. So I'm not good at this. I don't want to share it. And so for me, I'm not going to be the best writer anyone will read and that's okay. But what I can be is honest. And then in this, especially in trying to process this grief that I was dealing with, I've always loved magical realism books, and like those have been the ones that have stayed with me. And so it was kind of like, how do I find any kind of magic in this? And that's the only way I'll understand what I'm going through, and that's the only way I'll be able to process it. Can you give me an example of a magical realism book that was popular? I don't know that genre. Sure. Well, I mean, the biggest one and the one I loved so much is 100 Years of Solitude. Okay. Did you read that, Monty? I didn't. I'm embarrassed to say. It's a great one. And then I think, and I don't even know if this is necessarily categorized as magical realism, but it is very much to me. It's Sherman Alexie's Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven. Oh, I love that title, but I have not read it. It's telling stories to sort of deal with, uh, number one, our memories are funny anyway, right? Nobody remembers things the right oh, we way. we think we do, but we have no clue. Right. And then someone yeah. will go, that's weird that you remember it that way. So it's already like, we're already making it into a story, sort of like making your stories into a fairy tale, trying to understand why things happen, which I don't really believe like everything happens for a reason. And so yeah. it's really a way to kind of answer that for yourself. Even saying like, oh, that was Timothy Treadwell. I like enjoy mm -hmm. things like that and wanted to give myself those things and not call them coincidences because it felt good and it felt like a gift. You just said something, though, that I find a little bit intriguing. You're right. Our memories are these stories that we've written in a manner that we remember them, and they're highly flawed. And that's fine. That's yeah. who cares. And then, yeah, finding meaning is really another way to look at it is like putting it in a story that I can buy into and hold on to and carry. Right. I learn and understand things through story. This is a weird example to use. When I love sports, for example, I have to have an emotional backstory. And it's like, then I can get into this game. That's just sort of how I learn and understand the world. I also want to relate a little bit in that similarly, so my father died, and I really didn't know what I was taking away from it. What I knew was yeah. I was confused by the experience. And I thought I was supposed to have emotions that were not coming. And ultimately, like three months after the fact, I decided like, oh, I'm just going to write down the experience of getting him across the finish line. Like, what was that like from finding mm -hmm. out he had cancer to the end? And in doing that, I guess, yeah, like I found a story. I found that there had been this arc in our relationship. And then somehow by writing that thing, when I read it, all of a sudden I started crying. I was like, oh, that's what it is. I couldn't have articulated it, but now that I've written about it, now I kind of understand what it is for me. Absolutely. I recorded the audiobook, which was hugely like emotional, cathartic thing. I got to stop you. I should have done this an hour ago, but we're talking about your cousin Owen, who you love, died very, very young of brain cancer. Yes, glioblastoma. And I say it's funny to say it feels sudden when someone dies of brain cancer, but he had been living with it for a year and a half almost. And I was like, Owen's going to be glioblastoma. 
he yeah. will. I absolutely, yeah. he believed it. I believed it. And I still, I'm in the end, I'm like, well, cancer never beat him because it never got his spirit. And then I think trying to understand this heavy, heavy, like why this loss, because I've lost people before and it's always really hard, but why is this one hitting me in this way? And then even trying to understand how did Owen live so well mm, with, mm-hmm. like he told his dad, it's my favorite Owen quote. He's like, you know, well, minus the brain cancer, this has been the best year of my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> he fell in love with his girlfriend, Stacia, and he was in a band and they were making music. And it's like he'd hit every dance floor and he went to basketball games. And he's like the guy who wore hats because he had scars. And so it'd be like, well, how do I hide my skin? Let's wear fun hats then. And it was just, he's so positive and so brave. And so in trying to find that out, he was a very good guide for me then to also go through this past year we all had with COVID. I think like you have brain cancer, you don't know. It's very unpredictable and cruel and there's no way to understand any of it. And I felt like COVID was unpredictable and and the world has changed. The world's upside down. Yeah, your future is really, really unknown. Right, right. Yeah. But in so in trying to like, find out how he was able to do that. It was a good guide for me going through. And again, and then like when I would sit down and write, I got to discover I would have these things, these connections that felt like that's so weird that that happened. I write about a couple in the book and it's like, here's a crazy thing that happened. So we lost Hal Wilner of COVID, who's a longtime music producer at SNL. One of the most unique, bizarre, strangest man on the planet and so cool, worked with everybody, knew everybody. So on Tuesday night, I was in quarantine with my friends, Matt and Kevin. We were like listening to music, getting high. I was playing DJ and I was like, I'm gonna play one more song and I wanna find like the perfect song. And I'm going through my list and I was like, here it is. And I played Perfect Day by Lou Reed, which I love and they'd never heard of it. And I was like, you haven't heard of Perfect Day by Lou Reed? And I'm singing it to them the next day. I found out Hal had passed away that night. And then on Saturday at that first SNL at home, they did a tribute to Hal. And I'm watching it like the audience is watching it. Don't know what the show is because I wasn't quite ready to be there. And they sang Perfect Day. No way. Yeah. And it was like, I can't believe it that I was just singing this the night that Hal was blasting into outer space himself, you know? Yeah. And it was like things like that, that I was like, I want to feel those things as gifts. And like, they're not gonna be just coincidences because I take comfort in them and like find some comfort in them. So when you observe these, for lack of a better word, coincidences, do you, I feel like there should be a different plural for coincidences. Like, <laughs> I started thinking of them as like constellations, like connecting these stars. Yeah, when you observe those, do you then attempt to explain it like, oh, there's something metaphysical or there is a God? Do you go there or do you just take it on the surface of like, that's insane. I played that song and that was the tribute song. To me, that's the story that I can understand. And it means God, whatever you believe in, you can go, this is something other. This feels special and this feels... Again, like, and it's giving me some kind of peace and comfort. It's giving me a little bit of magic. And like, we all need a little bit of magic to process these things. So I got to do that audiobook recording. And again, I recorded in Rhinebeck. There was a lot of weird connections there. The guy who ran the studio, after I'd read the book, I came out and he was kind of crying. And he 
had lost his parents to COVID or sort of just around COVID in October. And he was like, you know what? I think I haven't been grieving them. He's like, I just heard you. And he said, this is going to help so many people who maybe haven't been grieving and don't realize it. Yeah. don't even know like what they've been doing. Is it hard for you to grieve? And if so, do you have a theory on why it is? Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a million reasons why it's hard to grieve anything. And it's varied for each loss. It's there's different kinds of losses. And so I think in our body, it's just like it's overwhelming. It's I always am like, I feel like I'm going to drown in the swamp of sorrow, like from a never ending story. I have two things. One is like my role has conventionally been to make light of everything. Like I'm the middle child and I'm good at making the joke when someone just got punched. <laughs> so part of me is like, oh, I got to go into that mode. But it's interesting because it's just me. Who am I breaking the tension for myself? That's interesting. That's one issue. And then I think the other issue is I literally have a hard time comprehending it. Definitely. Who can really comprehend? It's too big. But I also think that like levity and laughter can be a part of grief. And it is like, we love a person to make a joke. It was like important to me to try to say something funny-ish at my cousin's service, because I know that he would have wanted that. And his friend came up to me after and said, thank you for making me laugh. And he said, then I could cry. Like he wasn't, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so serious. So everybody was so stoic. It's like, once you laugh, then you're like, <laughs> you know, and then you can cry. Yeah. So you need the people to make you laugh. Yeah. I was back in Michigan and I was like at my dad's bedside and I asked a nurse, God bless her. She took a picture of me holding a pillow over my dad's face while he was <laughs> sleeping. And I sent it to my brother and said, just wrapping <laughs> things up in Michigan. <laughs> And yeah, I bet he and I remember that part of it more than any aspect is like, what a dark joke to send him. But perfect. And like, (laughs) I I think that's like so appreciated and needed. Yeah, I think there's so many things and I don't think I've explored all of them, but there's also some kind of act of rebellion in it too. I guess maybe it's like a clutch of control for me. Like this whole thing's so out of control, but I can take these little elements and weave it into this other thing. And then I, I'm pretty sure my brother's going to laugh hard. So I'll have some control over that. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot going on there. Well, then it's so you're feeling like you can be helpful in a situation where you feel like there's absolutely nothing you can fucking do. And so yeah. here's one thing you can do is to make your brother laugh. Yeah. And it gives you some kind of power then. Yeah. One of the specific things I'll say about your writing that's interesting is that you can play with tenses really well. I find that hard so it's like even in the vulture article it starts out as a past tense thing but then it all of a sudden it's present tense and you're kind of walking through a certain day and that's kind of unique and i like it and i don't even know if you're aware of it no i i definitely am aware of it and i think i certainly told my editor and everything like if it's ever too confusing but that's sort of how i especially for like when you are writing for therapy just putting yourself back there and trying to experience it as it's happening and then I think for myself, it was, I felt a bit like I was time traveling and like time changed during COVID. Time changed when I lost my cousin. Time changes. And yeah, there's no set timeline. And that's why it's still like, even when we process things, we're like, well, I have to move forward. And you're kind of like, what is it even to move forward? Right, when the timeline's right. all fucked up, when the world stops, what are we yeah. moving forward to? Right. It gets into like some huge existential questions, which is like, 
is there a purpose to life other than just living this day? Like my whole identity and what I feel safe in knowing is I've got all these things planned and this is going to happen. And that gives me some illusion of like <laughs> steering this crazy ship, but it really just daily breathing's the whole goal. It's, it's a, yes. That's it pretty much. And finding what it is for you. I've really been lucky with the people in my life and it's a chance to say like, I love you and thank you. And expressing gratitude for kindness that they've shown me, which I don't think we do enough, maybe, or I don't do enough of. And so it was a chance to do that. And so the book is, this will all be over soon. And then paralleling you processing Owen and going through the experience of Owen, you're also falling in love. Yes. And then so you're feeling conflicted right? A little bit like, oh, this joyous thing's happening. Do I feel guilty if I'm allowing the joy into my life? And I had been single for so long. And I think I've been very closed off and I had to be more open. And I think like COVID and, and Owen's grief, again, for me, for being a person who's like, well, I have to make the jokes. I felt like my edges softened a little bit. And like, uh-huh. maybe I don't have to make the joke. I can just cry and go, well, this is where I am right now. And yes. I'll laugh about it in a second but getting rid of a lot of my harder edges. And I think that opened me up a little bit more. And I always felt like if I'm honoring Owen, the thing I can do best to honor him is to like let myself be open and let myself enjoy this. Yeah, well, what I was gonna say is as you were saying that I realized like another layer of it even maybe, for me at least I'm guilty of is like, also for me to be grieving would be a weakness. And like where I'm from, it's all about not being weak. So me being able to laugh in the face of it maybe is some false display of bravery. I don't know. Yeah. That's a curious part. (laughs) Totally. And you find out you're like, I don't know how helpful that's been in my life. It's not that it's a bad thing. It has protected you a lot. It's gotten you where you are. But then some like giving yourself a chance to go, what if today I'm, I'm not okay? And does this one thing I think is attractive about me that I'm fun and upbeat, maybe that has to hit pause and I'll have to trust everyone will still love exactly. me through that. Yeah. Yeah. And hmm. I think like I found they do. And I remember, I don't know how this is, I'm tying it to this, but I remember I had a therapist once who was talking about quitting smoking and I smoked for a long time when I was like 13 to 25, then quit cold hmm. turkey. But it was like, You thank the cigarettes. They did what they did for your life. They helped you. And then you throw them out. So you're not going, this is terrible. It's going, thank you. You've gotten me here and I don't need you anymore. But I think like being somebody who feels things doesn't mean you can't also be a very funny, sharp person. Well, yeah, I think it's learning to distinguish when you're doing it for self-preservation and when you're doing it because you're in a great mood and want to share your mood. It's just hard to know at all times. Right. Well, it's hard to know, especially if you're not asking yourself and checking in and giving yourself that permission. Yeah. So what's the longest you've been with someone prior to the relationship in the book? It was seven years, but it was oh, not. okay. I write about it a bit in there, but it was not good. I mean, it was a really tough relationship and it was hard to that's like, that's what taught me about love. It was uh-huh. kind of very chaotic and kind of dangerous. Was it an addict or something? A lot of alcohol involved yeah. and just yeah it was not good but that was my first love but it's also like I don't even know how to write about that I've and I've not let myself think about that because I can't say it was wonderful only and I can't say it was awful only it's just hard to talk about things like that 
You're so right. There seems to be like some pressure to sum a past relationship up as either great or destructive. Right. Like it seems like the options are binary. Even in something as complicated I as seven years. I loved this person so yeah. much. I felt so loved. It was also one of the worst situations I've ever been in. Right. Oh, yeah. It's going to be all those things at once. Yeah. Now it's just I have to think of us as like two people on a cloud and every now and then we can pass and wave. But like we can't get any closer than that. Okay, but did you have any fear of like, fuck, I'm going to write this book about this person I fell in love with. And then heaven forbid we have parted ways by the time it comes out. And I'm going to be on a publicity tour talking about, (laughs) oh, yeah, well, and, you know, it didn't work out. Absolutely. I mean, but I think it was also... Writing a book that's this personal, you have a fear about all of this. That's like, right. well, I'm going to eat my words later with this. But it's kind of like, fuck it. And again, that's like where I have to go to an Owen thing. Be like, fuck it, Seth. Write about it. You got to have this. Enjoy it. Yeah. And even in writing, I always want to qualify everything. Well, how can I say it's a great year if this happened in this? And it was like, I'm going to try to qualify things less and try to stop apologizing before saying something. And I think that's part of it. It's sort of like, maybe we will break up and people do break up, but I really enjoyed it. And why not write about it? I got to have it. Yes. Like every thought I have, and certainly any thought I commit to paper, I play out every dickhead I ever grew up with shitting on it and and explaining why it was either self-indulgent or egomaniacal or attention-seeking And I got to have an answer to all those people, these fucking Mm -hmm. characters from my childhood. I've got got to answer to them. Yes. (laughs) And so I think about people online and I'm like, someone's going to say this. And it's always like because their voice is in your own head, too. And I have been great at self-hatred and self-doubt my whole life. Yeah. And so it's so the best therapists I have are very gentle with me because I have to be nicer to myself. And it was sort of like, fuck them. I have Owen at the heart of this book. I'm being as honest as I can. I just can't worry about those people today. We just lost 600,000 people. I lost this super important person, Hal Dine. And it was kind of like, I can't care about that one person not connecting with this. And if that's what you see in somebody telling you their heart, if that's how you respond, I don't know that I want to know you. Yeah, I'm hard on myself. I give all those voices a say in my head. And then the part I'd like to admit less is I know those things because I've also said those things about a million people. I've been jealous of people who wear their heart on their sleeve. I've been jealous of people who don't seem embarrassed by weakness. I've been jealous and judgmental. So I've done it. So I kind of know what's coming because I'm also guilty of doing it in my moments of insecurity. That's why you can see what it is, though, because you have done it. And it's like, we're all human. I don't think that makes you a terrible human. I see where it's coming from. And I'm not there anymore. And they are. Yeah. And so the whole endeavor is really positive because like by doing it personally, the agreement I think I have to make mine is, and I have to stop doing that to other people. Like I'm going to walk out and be honest and be vulnerable. And I'm going to pray people don't skewer me. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop skewering people. And I want to join the team that's just like, yeah. We're weak sometimes, we're scared sometimes, we're blah, blah, blah. I'm going to join that club now. And you don't have to, like, nobody's a perfect person. I think we could all still, we should be able to make fun of things when we want to with our friends. But I talk about, like, I want to be on the team of, like, Owen and his oncologist, Dr. Henry, was like, we can cure brain cancer. But it's like, that's the team I want to be on. I want to be on that team. And I want to 
believe in those things. And I think just going back on what you were saying, one of my favorite things my therapist said to me that's like was life changing was like, because sometimes the mean things that you've said about yourself, the minute you hear someone else say them or you see it written down, you're like, oh, my God, it's a fact then. It's fact. And she was just like, your thoughts aren't facts. They're just thoughts. You can just take it out. Like you Uh don't take that out. And it was like, yes, my thoughts aren't facts. This isn't the truth of the world that I'm loser whose (laughs) career is over, who will never do whatever. Yes, yes. All the good stuff. Yeah. Anything you've ever thought bad and you've ever seen written about you. Yeah. Which somehow is like gets so much more attention in my brain than anything nice anyone's ever said. Of course. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Vital Farms. And guess what, Monica? I'm back. You're back in the egg game. I am in the egg game horde. Mm-hmm. I love eggs. I love Vital Farms. I, I buy Vital Farms before, during, and after they've sponsored us. Yes, they're truly the best tasting eggs. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled over easy or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. They're so fresh. Mm. Those yolks are so orange. Yeah, they really are. You feel like you're getting quality product. Absolutely. Trusted brand. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. We are supported by Citizen M. It can sometimes feel like there's been too much tech talk and not enough pillow talk, in which case you need to recharge at Citizen M Menlo Park Hotel. Sip beer at Canteen M Bar, restaurant and terrace. Chit chat with the hotel team, the friendliest people you'll ever meet. Refresh in a jungle-like power shower. Stream your favorite shows to your room's smart TV and count your Z's in the world's softest bed. Recharge again and again in other tech cities like Austin, Miami, New York, and San Francisco. Book now at citizenm.com slash DAX today. So one little aspect of it that interested me greatly, because I saw this 60 Minutes piece on it like three years ago, which is this really novel approach to curing brain tumors because the problem with brain tumors is your body doesn't recognize it as cancer so it's not mm-hmm. sending the immune system to it so they inject polio they i guess that's they what inject, henry does yeah they inject all kinds of different diseases into yeah. the tumor and then all of a sudden the body recognizes that virus and it, at least on the 60 minutes thing sometimes these people's entire tumor would be destroyed within like a few days And it was so encouraging, but he went through that and that didn't work? Well, I mean, the thing is, it was working. And it's sort of, you just don't know. I mean, cancer, there's no rules. It's just unpredictable. Henry at Duke, Dr. Henry Friedman, I love him. We have a text thread now and I get all my news from, he sends like 18 news articles a day (laughs) with a little editorial. Oncologists are wild. I don't know if you knew this, but he's brilliant and is studying polio. But it's like Owen's tumors were shrinking. It was crazy. And Uh Henry was the first doctor that used the word cure Uh to Owen. And it was like, and what that did for Owen and for us was huge. Yeah. And it's like, and doctors don't blow smoke up your ass. Like, they're not known for, like, being overly optimistic. 
Right. They weigh on the negative side. Right. Henry, this is what he does, specifically polio therapy. I mean, Owen lived for a long time with GBM, if you look at the statistics. Right. And so they just came back or they had spread or... Yeah, and it was like, I'm not scientifically right here. In my head, the way I thought it was like, it just, they grew back. And if you don't get them soon enough... Yeah, it's yeah. just like almost then a timing thing. And you're just like, fuck. Yeah, more water is coming in the boat than you can bail out. At some right. Point. And if you were like, I took a week vacation and then came back and you were like, oh, God, now look at all the water. Now the boat's sinking. It's just yeah. like if you miss that time period. But it really like doing well for a while. And it, I think so much because of the polio therapy. Yeah. And so I'm like, keep going, Henry. And like a lot of people have reached out to me and they've been treated by Henry and like, there's success stories, too. And that's yeah. the other thing to remember with cancer. It's unpredictable in both ways. Did you wrestle at all? Like, I ended up telling the story of my stepfather passing a couple years ago on here. And there was a little voice in my head that said, hmm, my stepdad's sister probably feels more entitled to share that story than I do. Absolutely. It's not only my loss. Mm -hmm. There's so many people who are more entitled to this loss. But my family is so wonderful. And my aunt and uncle read the book and sent me really beautiful emails. And oh, my uncle nice. said, like, I want to keep this on my desk next to my mm -hmm. bed every night. And Ugh. it was like just a way to share. Oh, and so I think I really didn't want to feel like I was telling anyone else's story or exploiting anybody like the last thing I wanted to do. And there's a very scary phone call with legal when you write a memoir. And they go to all the points in the book where it's like someone else's things. And you're like, oh, my God, it feels like I've written like TMZ article now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you have to call and ask somebody about this one thing without the rest of the book in context. Then people, of course, get defensive and like, oh, no, wait, yeah. I don't want you Why to say that. Why are you telling that? the I shit my pants story in your book <laughs> about your cousin? Right. And I'm like, well, I was talking about how I shit my pants every day. So this <laughs> yeah. was a, like the last thing I want from this book is to hurt anybody. So yeah. I, I definitely went to everybody a couple of times and made sure. And even my friend Liz, who was my best friend from like, seventh grade to 10th grade thereabouts. She passed away a couple years ago and it was heroin. And I had no uh -huh. idea she was even using. Well, it was probably fentanyl, really. It was fentanyl, right. Yeah. And she'd been in and out of rehab and was working on But I was like, is this even okay to, I don't know, are you allowed to say what it is? Is it rude to say that? Because I also don't, I never wanted her to be defined by heroin. Right, right, right. She's a whole human being who was very funny, who was my best friend. We were joined at the hip, and she's a great singer. So then I'm like texting her sister, can I say Liz? Can I say heroin? And Laura was like, I'm so glad you wrote. And she said, when I heard you were writing this book, she said, Lizzie better be in there. And oh. so it was actually like a really good experience to reach out and to talk about it and ask. You're right, though. We do this very weird thing with people, which is one of your close connections in your life died of heroin and one died of cancer. And so it's like if you got hit by a bus at the end of your life, that wouldn't at all inform anyone about your life. It'd just be like you got hit by a bus. Right. But when you say someone died of heroin, like all of a sudden, that's a tragedy. I think I now know something about that person, which you don't. Right. Yeah, it's a very bizarre, like how we kind of reverse engineer based on this indiscriminate end. And it's sort of like, well, then that person deserved it more than this person. Yes, they were selfish. They right. were this. I just really didn't want that. But then I realized with cancer, with COVID, with 
heroin. It's like these are all such American experiences. I'm one of a billion who has lost someone of any of these things. So I felt like it was okay in that spirit that I'm like, yeah. unfortunately, this is how we lose a lot of people. And so I hoped then it was like, this is an American experience. Totally. Well, I think the number of in the last 10 years of opiate ODs is in excess of the COVID deaths. So epidemic. Across all different types of people. Socioeconomic. Of, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the fentanyl. I mean, we didn't even have her body. Like, that's a service where her body wasn't there because, like, my friend was evidence. Yeah. Well, I got to say, the only moment I ever had watching Trump, and I don't like to talk about him, but the only <laughs> moment I ever had where I was watching him and I thought, oh, he's losing his own followers even with this, was when he was making fun of Biden for having a son with addiction. And mm -hmm. I was like, bud, that just goes That's right across every American. Exactly. There's no way that you don't have someone in your life that has struggled with addiction. You probably even know someone that has a family member that died. Like that yeah. ain't left or right, pal. Like, yeah, I think that was one of the few that even his base was a little bit cringe, like, nah, -uh. yeah. you're, you're making fun of the dad over that? It's just, there's so many. That's an epidemic. They call it that for a reason. We know that word very well now. Yeah. Well, you're a fantastic writer, and this is a really intimate, really neat exploration, and I hope you're really proud of it, because it's very cool. Well, thank you. I am very proud, and I'm really happy with even just, like, the little connections that I've made and the people I've gotten to speak with, and I'm so happy to keep Owen going, and it feels yeah. like a very active, positive way to share him. I also predict you're going to have this neat experience where it's like people know you from playing characters. You may have made them laugh. They may tell you that. But in your heart, you know, like, well, I'm not Fran Drescher. I'm not <laughs> Rachel Maddow. I'm not these people that you like seeing me play. Right. But the book is you. So if people like it like they like. There's something neat about that. Yeah. And I think like I've never felt famous enough where I think anybody has any idea of me. But certainly if anyone only knows you from SNL, it's like. I've found people like shocked that I'm a human being who's gone through anything. You're like, well, yeah, of course. We weren't raised in a lab. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the comedy lab. Right. Oh, and then I just wanted to bring up before we said goodbye, I'm afraid to pronounce it, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> Schmigadoon? Schmigadoon. You got it. Schmigadoon is a new show that you're on. I think it came out July 17th, maybe. July 16th. Yeah, finally. I've been like waiting for so long. I love the show so much. I like that it's the book and the show are sort of coming out at the same time. Because yeah. I think there's so much of me. There's so much like just heart and sincerity and not a lot of cynicism in either. I haven't watched the show, but I watched the trailer this morning, and I got to say, it's a fucking phenomenal concept, especially for me, because my wife is a musical theater nerd. That's her whole life. And I literally, conceptually, I cannot lock into what a musical is. I don't get it. And the notion of trapping me inside of a musical, I just think is a really you funny You are the fish Keegan character. I think there's a lot of like people that will watch it coming from both worlds, and I I feel like I want to hear, I want you two to watch it and see what that experience is. <laughs> yeah, so she and Keegan-Michael Key are trapped in a town that is a musical. Like, they That's are amazing. real life. But you're normal people. <laughs> yes, we're doctors. It, it's like a normal rom-com. And then their relationship is stale. But what I also liked about it 
is that they wrote it about a couple that's already together, which I yeah, think yeah, is like, yeah, I like that too. great to find a love story and people that have been together because we don't tell those stories as much. You like We like seeing the people meet and fall in love. But I think there's something very sweet about a couple that's been together having a love story. Yeah. And, and awesome people in it, right? Chenoweth, like if you're going to do a musical and you oh, have Chenoweth geez. and Alan Cumming in it. Everybody knows Kristen Chenoweth is fucking unreal and Alan Cumming. And then I think what's so great is like then the world's going to get to see Ariana DeBose and Aaron Tveit. And like they are incredible. And uh -huh. Dove Cameron, Jaime Camille. It's really just, I think. An embarrassment of talent. Yes. Well, and Martin Short's in it. You can't get that guy to do anything. Come on. Yeah. Were you around him at all on set? Did you guys scenes together? We didn't get to do it that together. He was on a different set, but it was like, you take Martin Short any way you can get him. He could be a hand in the shot. I would take it. Yeah, I think he's pretty much unanimously regarded as the funniest human being in real life. So funny. Anytime he's come on SNL, I'm like, just watching him go, like, enter a room, interact with people, you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? He's so funny. He might be the world's most playful person. Like, he clearly yeah. enjoys playing with other human beings more than any person I've ever met. He reminds me of, like, a hummingbird. Like, I imagine that when he sleeps, it's like a mild coma. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's 40 like, minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, well, your body needs rest to be able yeah, to do yeah. all of that. <laughs> Straight into REM for him the second he shuts his eyes. Yeah. Well, Cecily, This Will All Be Over Soon is the book, and that comes out August 10th. August 10th. Everyone should read that, and then everyone who has Apple TV Plus should be watching Schmigadoon, which I now, having watched the trailer, most certainly starting tonight. It looks so darn good. And love talking to you. Great to get to meet this you. This was great. Lovely meeting you. Thank you. All right. Well, good luck with everything, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, guys. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Ready. Hi. Hi, this is a rarity. Yes, it is. Well, not only are we in a bunk room. That's right. Which is interesting. There's six beds in here because one pulls out behind your back and oh. behind my back. So six beds yeah. and it's nighttime. It's, it's a late night fact check. That yeah. is really rare. You're right. We've this only done, fun. I would say, five or less late night fact checks. I think you're right. We're on vacation. It's Eric's birthday. Happy 51st to Eric Richardson. Yes. And we're... Celebrating it in the way he loves, which is friends, family, and Taco Bell. And candy. And candy. Tons of candy. And then my big treat, which I just got and brought you on back, was Dairy Queen. That's your fave. When I drove in and I drove past the Dairy Queen, I thought of you and I thought you would probably get some. And then you saw me just up ahead in my um, uh, overheating motorhome. I actually didn't, <laughs> you but didn't, you uh, didn't. people did. Your yeah. motorhome overheated. Yeah, got a little hot, got a little, got a little toasty. And then by the time we got to the house, we had had to pull over and let her cool down a, twice. It really put a snag in the ride out. And then, of course, I was obsessing about fixing it. Then I was like, did I hear the fan? Then I went on a down a whole rabbit hole thinking it was the fan. Then then I realized it wasn't holding water. Then it was discovered that there was a hose blown out in the aqua hot system, which is hooked to the engine. So all the water was coming out. Anyways, found a great mechanic out of Murrieta, California. That's lovely. Named Junior. Mm. And he saved the day. Mechanics have the best names. Do you think his name is like John and then he went by Junior as he became 
more and more of a mechanic. I'm going to go even further. I'm going to say his name was Michael, and he went to work at a shop that there was already a Michael that was very senior. So they started calling him Junior. Mm. And then more and more people just became came to know him as Junior. That's going to be my guess. Okay. That's very plausible. But it's like, you know, like, do couples look alike or, or do we just think they look alike because they've been together? You know, it's one of those. It's hard to know. It's really hard to really know. Really hard to know. Before we get started, we don't have very many facts, but before we get in, we have to talk about the, the craze we started. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think because of this vacation, I actually forgot about it. So shall we walk through it? Yes. We might be delusional. We might be. We might be. I want to put that out there. This could all be in our minds. But so you and I had a couple different debates about whether one should wash their arms and legs and whatnot. Yeah. It started because I had dry skin mm -hmm. and it came up that I washed my whole body, which seemed normal to me, but seemed crazy to you. Yep. And then so we debated that. And then um, I think we then debated it a second time. And at this point, some people in the comment section are getting engaged That's and right. there's some dermatologists in the audience and, you know. <laughs> so then we have Ashton and Milan. Yes. And then it, they bring up bathing their kids. I say, wow, you just wandered directly into one of Monica and I's ongoing debates. Yes. So then they got in on it too. You know, he thought he agreed with me. You should just wash sure. your butt, pits, tits, slits. And pits, tits, bish. and slits. Bish, boosh, and bosh. And then, so then I think what happened initially was then it became a news thing that, that, that Ashton and Mila don't wash their kids. Yeah. And then people, as I learned later from Ashton, are, you know, like writing on his Twitter, like, wash your kid. <laughs> like, it'd be, it, like he's posting about his organization that ends child trafficking. <laughs> and literally the po his post is like, go wash your dirty kids. Oh, my God. Oh, my so, God. Okay, so that was happening. And then I was, of course, seeing some things about it. But what was really weird for me is that we were promoting the game show a week ago, Monday. Mm -hmm. And we got asked once about bathing our kids, which we understood. We, we thought, oh, yeah, that had come up. And then the second time, I thought they were asking that again. But mm -hmm. in, in retrospection, I realized they really just asked what our bathing habits were. Yeah. And initially, I thought, oh, she's referencing the show. But it occurred to me later, she wasn't. Because that night, I saw a news headline on the Apple News feed that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, has gotten in on the celebrity <laughs> bathing debate. <laughs> so I go to the article, and The Rock is like, let me set the record straight. I am not like them dirty celebrities. I shower three times a day, cold in the morning, medium in the afternoon, and hot at night. Oh, I didn't realize there was a gradient. Yes, there's a, he, he marches through from cold to scalding, I guess scalding oh, hot. I well, I'm scalding. adding the word scalding, but I like to think it's scalding okay. hot. So he's in, an, he's in that shower three times a day. And mm. so I thought, oh my God, if this is the same thing, which I think it is the same thing, People are getting asked this anytime they're doing press now. It's like a go-to question for, <laughs> in quotes, journalists yeah. to, to, to inquire about. So I called Kutcher and said, I think we started this thing. And I think someone asked me without any knowledge that we had all started it. Yeah. And I thought that was really hysterical and insane. And then I did predict that we'll probably end up, like, I don't think this is over. I think, like, Meryl Streep's going to get asked 
I hope so. And we're going to find out where she washes and where she doesn't. Her bathing routine. And you have Monica's dry skin to thank for that <laughs> if you enjoy learning this about other people. Or it has nothing to do with us and it just is a coincidence and we just, we're a narcissist. That also could be true. I would need someone to walk me through the dots of how someone else started it for me to change my opinion. Okay. Well, <sighs> okay. anyway, so keep up with that, guys. Yeah, keep it posted. Or keep, <laughs> keep yourself posted. <laughs> keep posting. Keep posting. I'm just thinking of The Rock saying, you know, he's going to get in on, like he wanted to make it clear. He's not one of these dirty celebrities like <laughs> Ashton and I who only wash our butts three times a week. <laughs> he's not like one of those foul. Three times a day. That's. Oh, do you think he's ashy? No, no. He has perfect skin. You know what someone pointed out? Because we were talking about this on the trip. Mm-hmm. And it might have been Matt that pointed out, well, the dude gets a massage every single day. Oh, so he's oil. So, yeah, he has oil on him. So I'm like, well, okay, well, yeah, if you add that into my lifestyle, I, then I'd have to shower every day too. Right. And but, I'd probably but would use, you? Would you? And I, yeah. You and would? I'd probably use soap on my body. That's probably the only time I do use soap on my body is if I've had a massage and I'm oily. Yeah. The oils are slick. That makes sense for well, him. For, for one, one of them. them. Yeah. For one of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's two I don't more. know about the other two, but... <laughs> But it sounds like he's got a whole thing with the temperature that he has to accomplish. Yeah. Look, I wouldn't mind taking on his routine because uh-huh. I think he looks great. Yeah. Don't we all? We all think that. Yeah, he looks good. <laughs> okay. What is a frog expert called? You were right. Herpetology. Mm. Herpetologist. Mm. Branch of zoology concerned with the study of amphibians, including frogs, toads, salamanders, newts, and herpes. Perhaps. Well, it's got herpes in the name. Yeah. One would conclude. It also includes herpes. herpes. Yeah, it's a, it's a great interest in amphibians and herpes. And reptiles. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't sorry, forget sorry. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got that right. Okay, now. That's- now, how old was she when Perfect Strangers was on? First episode of Perfect Strangers, 1986. Oh, okay. Okay, so she's born in 84, so she was two... Oh, so when I was, it came out. I was right. How many seasons was it? I bet you that it was three or four. 150 episodes. Well, then that is probably six, six years. Six seasons, probably-ish, yeah. yeah. Oh, eight seasons. Eight seasons, perfect okay. surgeries. And what's the cast? Um, Tom Hanks. Oh, is it? Hold on. No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The spinoff was Family Matters? Oh, my God. It's a spinoff Family Matters. You're mad at me. Why? teasing <laughs> the way you delivered that. You go, oh, my God, the spinoff was Family Matters? Well, I'm just shocked to read this right now. I don't know that I know what Family Matters is. Steve Urkel. Oh, did I do that? Yes. Oh, speaking of which... <laughs> Did I do that? Is here. Best friend Aaron Weekly is here. We will do a fact check with him and Charlie probably next episode, and we'll follow up with their journeys. Yes. And then he will also give you a Steve Urkel. It, which is... <laughs> it's dead on. It's 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 crazy. It's like a, a computer is doing the impersonation. The actors in Perfect Strangers are Bronson Pitchot, the Cot, okay. Pincho, and then Marklin Baker. Okay. Is, do you have an image of it? Uh, yeah. I might have been thinking of Boozum Buddies. Oh, Bosom Buddies is Tom Hanks. Yeah, yeah, T. Hanks. This is them. Let's see. 
Okay, that's. I also was picturing that. So okay. Okay, it looks like bosom buddies. Yeah, as well. it does. It. I think it like it's in an era where two guys was a good show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that time has passed. Two guys living together is a good. Here's my pitch. Okay, it's two men. But okay, they go live, on. They don't live with their parents, and they don't live with their wives. They live with one another. But do they know each other? If, if that's the direction you want us to go in, absolutely. And huh? if you want them to be perfect strangers, that could be. They could be perfect strangers. That's it. Sold. You like the perfect strangers? Yeah. That's what we were leaning towards. Uh, but this is a big relief. Oh my god, for we've us. been hoping for something different. Yeah, like we were this. thinking. I don't know. Uh, do you know this actor, Tom Hanks? Never heard of him. Okay. Well, then we have another couple actors that maybe you would like. Okay. Pringle you know, Belkey. You know who we're. <laughs> you know who we're thinking. We've been thinking. Of, um, I'm sure you know Mark Pinchot. Oh my God! Yes, we love Mark at the office. Yes. Okay. Yes. We have a deal with he him. He would be perfect as one of the strangers, the perfect strangers. Oh. <laughs> I think this is going to go on for eight seasons. Oh, God willing, fingers crossed. From your lips to God's ears. Mm. Um. Okay. So this. That is, was so fun. Can we call that bit something, and we oh, can do it more often? Perfect strangers. Call the bit pitch perfect, pitch. Perfect, pitch perfect, pitch, pitch perfect, perfect strangers, pitch perfect strangers. Holy That'll shit. be a new game we play with regularity on here. Okay, I love it. Okay, now this was interesting because we recorded this a bit ago, uh-huh. and we talk about coincidence a lot in this, and we talk about not manifesting, but like the constellation of the world, like putting the stars together, the ma- your own map yeah. in this episode. And it comes right after this episode with Maya where we have this whole debate. And I just started to think like, man. That's a clue too? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, I've noticed this before. Sometimes there's a weird synergy that happens with these episodes because we're not yeah. planning it. Like this was recorded way before and then they happen to come out one after another or like we'll have somebody on who we recorded a long time ago and they'll talk about a show or something and then the next episode there'll be someone. Like it's weird the way sometimes these things all fit. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Maya, I would say- the, you're highlighting the very those few, times yeah, yeah. more than the um It's a sound argument. It's, har- it's hard to get around that argument. It is, but I'm with Cecily. Like, it's lovely to look at the world like that. I agree. I don't even think one's evaluating what's right and wrong or anatomical or metaphysical as much as, like, how do you enjoy living life on planet Earth? Yeah. P.E. P.E. planet Earth. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was a really fun little... Oh, my God. I just realized something else. We interviewed someone whose first album was called Leaving Planet Earth. Hall and Oates? No, um, Brie Larson. And her band was called, like, Finally Out of P.E. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was See? obviously a reference to physical education, but I had just before that declared that I was going to start calling Planet Earth P.E. And, and I think Brie is potentially next week. And oh. so this is what I'm saying. Oh this is exactly God. what I'm saying. Oh my, this is. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> look, I don't know what to say. It's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, that stuff's also in our mind at times, you know? Like you and I get hot for an idea for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. and we kind of, everything filters through that idea quite often. True. <laughs> so that's a thing too. So is there anything else? That was all the facts. Oh, that was? I want more facts. There was, weren't many on this. I was enjoying that. I loved her mm-hmm. and I love the way she, you know, took this story about her cousin and is, and using it in a positive way of looking at life and mm-hmm. being, choosing to be optimistic. And I loved when she said like, I want to be on 
Owen and the doctor's team. Like, they believe in curing this. And I want that to be the way I think. Yeah. And I love that. What was the highlight of the trip for you so far? Mm. God, the weather's been so (sighs) nice. We, we We call it... Well, we're in Temecula, but we're calling it Tamawi. Tamawi, because it's coined by you. It's very. Thank you for acknowledging me for mm-hmm. that. Um, it's very tropical, which is unexpected. It's yeah. generally dry out here, and it's generally still and hot as blazes. We were all expecting to be in ninety-five plus degree yeah. weather, and it's thus far we've been in about eighty-six degree weather with a very thick, moist wind blowing at it's all been times. Lovely cloud cover. Yeah, it's felt very tropical. Here's something that happened. We were playing spades, uh, me and you and best friend Aaron Weekly and Ruthie. Mm-hmm. And it was you and Aaron versus me and Ruthie. And, you know, you have a rule that you've come up with. A personal rule. A personal rule. Yeah, yes. yeah, strategy. That has, a, exa- exactly, a strategy that has spread like wildfire through the group. And at one point, I was dealing mm-hmm. and I was making a decision. And I said, oh, okay, we can do this. And I didn't say anything. I didn't say like, but there's a thought that- That's right. That if you do this other thing, whatever. And you sat really quietly. Mm-hmm. And you like did, a little mouse. Like a little big mouse. Yeah. A huge mouse in the room. <laughs> Too big of a mouse in the room. And, who is biting his mouse tongue like crazy. <laughs> and you didn't say anything. And then I said, but also Dax has a theory. I, You know, I waited yeah. on it. Oh, uh, you tested me. A and little. I passed the test. And you passed. Oh, my God. I'm so glad I passed. And it was, I, w- I will say it was extra tempting. Mm-hmm. Why? Because my young son was there. And I'm I'm trying to teach him the game. Teach him the ways of the world. Uh-huh. As as a father does for his young, his young little baby boy, uh-huh. little prince. But you did it. You held your tongue. First yeah. time I've ever seen it happen Well, it's tricky because I also had my little baby girl, my little... <laughs> Little, in her white dress, little brown baby girl in her white dress. And I had my bouncing little baby boy. <laughs> oh, and everyone no. was at the table. Yeah. That's hard. I was very proud. Listen, speaking of your baby boy and baby girl. Yeah. So Aaron's on Cameo. If anyone wants oh, a yes. Cameo, please oh. get one from Aaron. And he told me, you know, most of the Cameos request me to be by my baby Monica picture. Which <laughs> made me really I'm happy. not surprised at all. I kind of want to dress you guys up for a photo shoot. <laughs> like um, those little bonnets that babies wear oh. and a, a big, big, huge rattle for Aaron. And will he only be wearing a diaper? <laughs> Duh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's made to wear a little diaper I know. with a bonnet. <laughs> Yeah, and you'll be in that dress. You'll be in the white of dress. Course. But we'll see diaper hanging out the bottom, oh. as happens <laughs> with those dresses for little ones. Um, <laughs> so. Anyway. That, um, maybe that's going to be my birthday request, that photo. Okay. Man, that's a lot of pressure. What is your favorite part of the trip? Well, we just, I just sat Dairy Queen. That was. Is that your favorite that's, part? No, it's not. It's oh. not. It's not. Well, it was just a couple moment moments sitting outside playing spades with that weather that was impossible, and I just it's it was lovely. felt intoxicating. Really lucky, yeah. Really, really lucky. Well, I love you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy fifty first, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 